Well, good morning, everyone. I want to begin by asking you, uh, how many of you have ever gone through a makeover? Like, like a just, you've got a new look. Some of us are nodding our heads. Some of us, no? No, we... So um, why, why do people uh, go through makeovers? There's probably several reasons, right? Um, the first one is, is just they are discontent or unhappy with their current look, and they want to try something new, and that's totally fine. There's no judgment as to why someone would do that. Um, it could be that um, they are just bored, right? Um, it could be that they are interested in the latest trend, the latest look, or it could be that they have a friend that is in beauty school and just needs someone to experiment on. <laughs> How many of us have been, been that friend, right? Yes, you are good friends. Yes, yes. How many of us have gone through a makeover and stuck with it? Like we saw ourselves in the mirror and we said, this new look I like, I'm going to go ahead and be this now. I'm going I'm to wear this. I'm going to rock this. Yeah? A, a makeover that sticks. Well, I believe that following Jesus means getting an internal makeover, a, a, a new look that when we experience it, when we see it, when we live it, we say, I want to stick with this. I want to stick with this. If we haven't met, my name is Carlos. I want to welcome you if it's your first time here at Evergreen, if you're watching online. Uh, last week, we began a, our summer conversations, and Ilsian began to unpack uh, a story that, or a message that she called um, God, I'm sorry, God's Invitation to You. That's, that was the title of the message, God's Invitation to You. And it was really a fresh look at this parable, this story that Jesus tells about this great banquet where this man, he puts together a party and the RSVP'd guests are reminded, are told that it is now time to attend the party. And what do they do? They, they bail, right? Ilsian described them as lame excuses. They all gave lame excuses as to why they could not attend. And it was more than a lame excuse. We saw that it was offensive to the person throwing the party. But how does the master respond? He responds with grace, right? He says, well, if they don't want to come, let's open it up. And he begins to give instructions to invite the uninvited, the lame, the poor, the blind. And it says that they are all welcome into the party, and the servants go to the master and say, but there's still more room. And what fascinates me about that is that's kind of how it ends. There is still more room. And I, I, I tend to think that it, it kind of ends that way because we are included into that party. And so through the study or consideration of the life and teachings of Jesus, we see that God is inviting us into something that's bigger than ourselves. And this bigger thing that Jesus talks often about, he refers to as the kingdom of God. Everyone say kingdom of God. What is it? It is the place, the reality where God rules and he reigns. Simply where things are done his way. It's in the kingdom where God's values, 
his desires and his plan, and not only for us, but for all of creation, is experienced. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near, proclaimed Jesus in his first words in public ministry. And Jesus' message was this, I have come to tell you that you are invited to participate in what God is doing now on earth. And so the question that I've been wrestling with, the question that I want to put in front of us today, is what's stopping us? What is stopping you from participating in God's invitation? What keeps us from experiencing more of the life that God has made possible for all of us, whether you're in the room or you're online. What keeps us from experiencing the kingdom here in this life? Is it just a lack of understanding? It's, it's a bit of a mystery. We just don't quite know what it means. Or is it just doubt or a lack of faith? We just simply don't believe that this invitation is for us. It's for other people, but not for us, because sometimes it's just too good, a message too good to be true. Well, I believe that Jesus, in his most famous sermon, this Sermon on the Mount, or the Beatitudes, as it's famously known, he addresses what keeps us from participating in the kingdom and what I believe Jesus says it all boils down to, what is stopping you from participating, drumroll please, please, is you. What is stopping you is you. Because Jesus, he teaches, the problem is your anger, your lust, your integrity or lack thereof, your vengefulness. Your need to be seen, liked, and praised by others. Your pretending, your pretense to be spiritual and, um, and religious. Your need for more stuff. Your tendency to worry. Your harsh judgment of others. Okay, Carlos, can you stop? We get it. Jesus' message is this. You are stopping you from getting into the kingdom of God. He says, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus said to a curious friend named Nicodemus. And so we see in Jesus' statement that in order to even see what we're invited to, we need to be born again. We need a holistic makeover. And so what we should be asking is, what does that look like? What should our aim be? What are the parts of me that need to be transformed in order for me to participate in God's bigger story? Is anyone else asking that question here? I am. Does anyone else desire to participate in what God is doing? I am. And so here's where we start. I have a few suggestions. The first one is this. We all need a self-demotion. I had to Google that. I said, is that even a word? I think it is. We all need a self-demotion. Here's why. We can't participate in God's kingdom while we're still trying to rule our own kingdom. We have to make a choice. 
It's either God's kingdom or our own. And this is the essence and the challenge, I think, of following Jesus. To follow Jesus essentially is a surrender to his kingship for our very own lives. So what does it mean to surrender? It means to take God on his terms to do life his way. And here's the thing. When we don't, we're not allowing Jesus to be king. It's like the parable that Ilsian taught us last week. It's refusing to wear the wedding outfit provided by the wedding host. Does that make sense? And so I want us to consider filling the blank. He, and by he I mean Jesus, must rule my what? Fill in the blank for what that is for you. He must rule my heart. He must rule my mind. He must rule my side of the marriage, my parenting, my friendships, my social media, my finances, my very desires. Jesus must rule. And what does that mean? It means to allow him to dictate the values and the direction of all areas of my life. And here's the thing about that. It's not a one-time choice. It's not a check in the box, it's done, and you're good. It actually, here at Evergreen, it, it, it really speaks to what we, our, our mission is. Our mission here is to help people find and follow Jesus. How many of you could finish that statement? I hope we repeat it so that we all know that's our mission as a church. And so what does that mean? There's two parts. There's two words. There's the find and the follow. The first one, it's an initial yes to Jesus. When you and I uh, say yes to Jesus for the first time, we find Jesus. But after that, we then get to say yes to Jesus daily. That's what it means to follow him. And to do this, it means to you know, go against uh, our own natural desires, our tendency to worry, culture's definition of success, the opinion of people that we care and respect, and even our own interpretation of what we believe is good and just in the world. And so we got to start there. We have to, in order to follow Jesus, we have to self demote. We have to give ourselves self-demotion. And so this is, this, is, um, this is the question. What is stopping you? Could it be that you desire too much to be your own king or queen? As I was thinking about that, I mean, we literally use this language to refer to each other, right? We comment on our friends' uh, posts, Yaz, queen, all the time, Right? Did I get that right? Should, should I not ever do that again? Can you tell? I'm getting ready to go to youth camp. So, like, I, like, I Googled, uh, yeah, anyways. Yas queen. Yas queen. We say that. Yeah. And so we know that there could only be one ruler if we're going to participate in God's kingdom. And so um, here's a question for all us to reflect this week. 
what areas of my life am I not allowing Jesus to reign? Where does it feel like I'm in rebellion against his kingdom? give you a moment to think about that. I encourage you to consider it. I know for me, it was my stress management this week. I found myself stressed and dealing with my stress in unhealthy ways. And, and here's the thing, my therapist hears all about it. And so where were you this week? Where are you in this season in rebellion against Jesus? Well, can I give you some good news? Because I kind of gave you some like, oh man, like it, you're the problem. Who wants to come to church and say and hear that, right? Well, here's the good news. I want I I to create my own parable here, my own saying. The kingdom of God is like the max train, right? We don't freak out when we miss a train. Why? Because we always know that there's another one coming. Unless it's until the end of the day, then you got to wait a while. But I, I can see my illustration kind of falling apart here. But here's the thing. <laughs> You can always generally catch the next train. And so if you felt like this week, you know, I totally missed the mark. I was, the, I was my own king and queen. I was, I was in full rebellion against Jesus. Here's the good news. You can always start to follow him. You can always choose to put his kingdom first. And this is what he says. He says in Matthew 6, he says, seek first the kingdom Eugene Peterson, who translated the entire Bibles, he, he, uh, he translated that truth as steep your life in God reality. Don't you just love Eugene and the way he worded that? Steep your life in God reality. What does that mean? Put into practice the way of Jesus. When we do that, we are putting the kingdom first. And so what could that look like for you this week? Well, one, it could look like you seeking simplicity. Everyone say simplicity. Here's how I understand simplicity. It's the intentional promotion of the things Jesus values and the removal of, the, of everything that distracts us from them. And so you see simplicity requires two actions. The first one, I think, is removing distractions. So for those of us taking notes, you would want to consider making a list of the things that are distracting you from making space or time for the things that Jesus deems important. And so is it that distracting or toxic relationship that needs to be removed? Is it the unhelpful screen time, the constant binging of and this scrolling that doesn't give fruit into your life or doesn't feed your spirit? Or is it the removal of overconsumption, whether it's things or food? Or is it overcommitment? We are overcommitted and therefore we have no time for the things of Jesus. Or this week was it simply the Barmy movie? I don't know. I don't know. No judgment if you watched it. That was my joke. But not only do we remove distractions, but we then intentionally promote, and I love that language, we intentionally promote uh, by leveraging our time, talents, and treasures to what matters most according to Jesus. And so you can make another list. I'm asking you to make all kinds of lists today, by the way. You can make another list about what you, what you see matters most to Jesus. 
And in that list, you may at the top see that what matters most to Jesus is your relationship with the Father. And so how do you leverage time, talent, and treasure towards that? How do you have quality time with God, in his word, listening, in silence, in prayer, in meditation, in worship? How do you leverage quality time? How do you leverage quality time, talent, treasure in your marriage? If you are married today, that is a holy thing. How do you prioritize that? If you're a parent, how do you prioritize intentional, life-giving time with your children? How do you make time for faith-shaping relationships with others, whether it be via your faith community like Evergreen or it's a small group or it's a coffee with a mentor this week? How do you care for the bodies that God gave you or the body (laughs) that God gave you? How do we pay attention to issues of injustice or caring for the poor and vulnerable among you? And so if you are asking yourself, I don't know what Jesus valued most, then this is your homework. Read one of the Gospels. Start with Mark. It's the shortest one. <laughs> and if you're saying, Carlos, I'm not a reader, then download the YouTube I'm sorry, the YouVersion Bible app, and put it on audio. You can listen to it everywhere you go. But once you have that list of what Jesus prioritized, then ask yourself, am I leveraging my time, talent, and treasure in the things of this list? Am I intentionally promoting the things that Jesus cared about? The next way we can seek the kingdom first is to seek to do good. Here we have a a mentor writing to a mentee, Paul writing to Timothy, and he gives them instruction. He says this, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. We're going to come back to those words. But I want to just first ask, who is Paul um, referring to in this text? Who Who is he telling to instruct? It says in the first line, command those who are rich. So he's specifically talking to those who have the wealthy. And so I asked myself this question, who are the rich today? We are. It's us. According to uh, author and and, and pastor and uh, thought leader John Mark Comer in his book, The Elimination of Hurry, by global standards... If you make um, $25,000 a year, that puts you in the top 10% of the world's wealth. And if you get a promotion and make $34,000, that puts you at 1%. One of the required readings for the Guatemala team, which we're going to get to um, celebrate next month, is to read the book, When Helping Hurts. And in it, we have this stat that says, 40% of the earth's inhabitants eke out an existence on less than $2 per day. 
I can't even get a cup of coffee uh, and, and uh, not tip that nowadays, right? $2 per day. All that to say is that this passage really is for us. The Western Christian. And notice that Paul, he, he commands something that sounds so elementary. I mean, really, it's, it's so simple. He says this, tell the rich to share. Did you catch that? I mean, this is the kind of stuff you learn in kindergarten, isn't it? We should share. But participating in the kingdom of God always asks this question, can it be shared? Can this be shared? Because sharing is very much a kingdom of God experience. And so what does that look like for you this week? Maybe it means you're going to share your dinner table and your latest Costco find by inviting that single parent over for dinner this week. You're going to share that meal. Maybe for you it's, 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 not, it's not a dinner. It's sharing your time by volunteering in one of your kids' activities and being present not only for your child but for those families. Maybe for you, 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 you have that awesome pressure washer and you're going to share it with the lady down the street. Or better yet, you are going to go down the street and pressure wash her driveway. Or maybe for some of us, it means sharing a couple of nights at our vacation home with the young married couple we're getting to know here at Evergreen who you know they desperately need a weekend away, but they can't afford it because they are not yet rich, right? An early father is quoted to have said this, we hold everything in common except our spouses. And I think that's wise, right? As Christians, we're called to share everything except our spouses. Yeah, that's good. That's wisdom. So Paul not only tells Timothy, he doesn't say, hey, tell the rich to share, but also to just give. He paints this lifestyle of habitually giving things away, and that's a way to participate in the kingdom of God. And um, I don't know about you, but have you heard of the Buy Nothing Project? Yeah, some of us have. Um, some of us are participating. Well, if you don't know the Buy Nothing Project, it's, it's a nationwide movement where People give things away to their neighbors. And their tagline is this, to give out of your abundance. And I like that, to give out of your abundance. And, you know, this movement was started really to curb our uh, consumerism and to eliminate waste. And those are really good things. But what you're starting to hear is that neighbors are starting to really get to know each other. Because they had this thing called Wish Wednesdays, and on Wednesday, you can essentially ask for something and say, hey, I could really use this. And so by these groups, which mostly happen on Facebook, they're also on the app, neighbors are starting to know their neighbors based on their needs. And I think that's a beautiful thing. So I want to encourage you today, this week, join your Buy Nothing group and start giving some good stuff away. Amen? And so the last way seeking first the kingdom could look like 
for you is by seeking contentment. Everyone say contentment. What do I mean by contentment? It's living in such a way that your unfulfilled desires no longer curb your happiness. Another way of saying that is they no longer determine your happiness. Now notice the unfulfilled desires. Here's the thing about unfulfilled desires. They are like mosquitoes on a summer evening in the Pacific Northwest. (laughs) They're always going to be there, right? And so... It's these unfulfilled desires that tend to nurture discontentment, which is a nagging feeling of always wanting more, not just more stuff, but more out of life. In Jesus, he he teaches us that when we follow him, we learn to be content in the things of this world. And he's talking about real needs like food, water, and clothes. Jesus says, don't worry about those things. And what what he means by that is that shouldn't be your priority. Why? Because I know that you need them. And so as Jesus followers, we know that our goal is not happiness. And it's definitely not comfort. We are after something deeper. We're after experiencing God's kingdom. And here's the good news about God's kingdom. The good news is that this life that we've always wanted is fully available to us right where we are. And it's because through Jesus, we have access to the loving Father and nothing, no Level and income, no stage of life, no health or relationship status. Nothing is standing between you and that life that Paul describes as truly life. How many of us want true life? We all do. And so if we want to really live, uh, we got to understand that what's first stopping us from participating in God's kingdom is our own selves. Our own desire to be our own king and queen. And so the solution is, number one, promote Jesus as the rightful king over your life. And number two, seek out his kingdom through these simple practices of contentment and simplicity and acts of goodness. And so... Again, the good news is we can always, no matter how we did this week, no matter how we've done in this life, the good news is we can choose today to seek first God's kingdom. And like you may have heard, it requires something of us, and that's denial of self. Elimination of our own plan for our life. And that's essentially what we call discipleship, to be a student of Jesus. And it's hard. And there's a cost to following Jesus. But here's the thing, as Dallas Willard once wrote, the cost of discipleship is high, but the cost of non-discipleship is even higher. There are those of us in the room that can testify what life is like trying to do things our own way, and where that's gotten us. 
and the suffering and the hurt and the pain or the aimlessness that that's led to. And so there's a cost either way. And so essentially what we're kind of saying is pick your cost. But here's the thing that I can personally speak to. Choosing to follow Jesus to make him king is the best decision you can ever make. Amen? Amen. And as the band comes up, I, I just want to finish this statement that Jesus says, Seek first his kingdom, that's what we've been looking at, and his righteousness. And then he says this, and all things will be added on to you. And so Jesus doesn't leave us hanging. He doesn't say, follow me and your life's going to be hard. He says, follow me, trust me, and all that you need according to the way I define that, I will care for you. He will not abandon us. He will lead us to the life that we are truly longing for, a life that is rich in relationships, rich in community, full of hope and purpose, and most of all, a life that is full of love, a love that many of us have experienced that's so big, that's so powerful, it transforms us. And it looks like we got to make over. And people who haven't been around us look at our lives and say, something's different about you. Did you do your hair? <laughs> and you say, no, you know, I've just, I decided to follow Jesus. I'm doing my best to follow him daily. And it might be changing me. And isn't that the goal? And so in... 2006, I, I made the decision to follow Jesus. It was, um, it was a summer at a college retreat. But that single moment when I said yes to him, that single moment did not transform me to the person that you see today. What's transformed me is the Holy Spirit's leading for the last 17 years. That's brought me to a place where I've said, yeah, I'm going to choose your way on this. And that's what we get to do. We get to continually say yes to not only what Jesus wants to do in your life, but what he's doing here on earth. But he wants to start with you. He wants to change you for the better. He wants to heal, restore, redeem, repurpose, and give you a makeover that you're just going to love. The makeover that you didn't know you needed. So I want to invite you to bow your heads. And I just want to end with the final words, or really the words that we started with. And that's that Jesus began his ministry by saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And this word repent, um, it's actually real, it's real simple, simple to understand when we break it down to, it's, it's simply just Turn from our way to God's way. It's choosing Jesus. It's acknowledging that we're on our own. We're, we're not meant to be our own kings or queens, but there is a man who is worthy, who's proven himself faithful and good and powerful and mighty 
and his name is Jesus. And it says that when we call on his name, when we, when we turn to him for every need that he's there to save. And he's accomplished what we couldn't accomplish. And so with every head bowed down, if there's anyone here today or anyone online who you've never said yes to Jesus, you've never invited him to be your king, then I want to give you a chance to respond to this message with every head bowed down. If that's you today, then I'm going to invite you to look up at me and you and I can agree. And we just want to pray with you. So if there's anyone here today that wants to say yes to Jesus, look up at me and we can agree and I see you. If there's anyone else in the room, I see you. Jesus loves you. He invaded earth for you. He gave his life on a cross so that you and I could be forgiven. His work is finished. It's accomplished. It's not a matter of anything that has to be done for you. It's already been done. And so if that's you today, if you want to respond to those truths. Father, we thank you. We thank you because we know that that faith is a gift and we thank you for the two individuals who today are saying, I want to follow you. I want to say yes to your kingship over my life. Forgive me for the sins that I've committed. I now accept the sacrifice that you've made on behalf of me and I accept the gift of the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, would you come and fill my brothers and my sisters here in the that they would begin today this new journey of walking with you. And for the rest of us, God, we're all on a journey. We're all called to follow. And so this week, would you allow us to know where are we in rebellion against you? Where do we need to eliminate distractions and promote the things that you value? Give us the faith, the eyes to see the courage to live in what you are doing here on earth. And we thank you, God, that it, that it is not by works that we are saved. It is not by how good we can follow even, but it's all based on grace that you have offered. And so we celebrate that today. We once again together say, Jesus, be my king, rule over my life, help me to follow you every day that you give me here on this earth. And everyone who agrees with that prayer can say amen.